Look for the pod necessities, those simple pod necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean those pod necessities that put a producer at ease, that bring the whole podcast to life. Do, 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 do. Sometimes you just got to keep it simple, Sydney. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's... You know, I've I've come to expect, like the most outlandish things from you so the times when you just play it straight do the obvious thing yeah that 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 has become the more surprising thing for you to just do the obvious thing we're both very tired i do not have the energy to be that sweaty right now and yeah. also sometimes you just have to be like from high school musical 3 the guy who makes the game winning shot where it seems like it's going to be really dramatic but in reality he's effectively under the net Right? He, he doesn't even does need to a jump. tiny little, yeah. It's nothing. <laughs> welcome to the Disney Desk, everyone. I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. And welcome to another Patreon's Choice episode. Welcome to the Patreon's Choice episode. Our lovely patrons voted for um, today's topic. Yeah, so like we said, it was my birthday month, so I kind of just picked three topics, um... Three ideas that I've been um, rattling around in my brain. And the one that kind of, like, I didn't expect myself to put on the list, but ended up doing was um, a deep dive into the Jungle Book. As we discussed in a previous episode, um, the Jungle Book is one of my earliest Disney memories. I had the plushes. I was very into, like, Baloo the Bear. I was very into the music. Um, I've been told that I used to walk around singing these songs around the house all of the time. And it dawned on me, I really, it's one of those classic nostalgia things where you're like, have I actually sat down and watched this in a long time? So I put it up there um, against my sort of, like, personal hobby horse, the uh, Mulan episode. <laughs> right, one day. Um, yeah. You want to laugh, people? To get you inside baseball a little bit, you know, we're still playing the hits today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we give ourselves a vote, like one vote as a team. Um, so it's a, like, we, effectively it's a tiebreaker. We tie participate in the, to- in the poll, like, and we decide between the two of us like which right which one we want to vote for this month and and sydney sydney suggested like hey do you want to just put the vote toward the mulan episode and finally get this done and i was like no no i think it's funnier if it never gets picked honestly at this point it's funny it is funny that like we have we have had that mulan versus mulan thing up for as long as we have been offering polls probably Right. And the one week where, like, <laughs> even like, hey, would you vote for that, Carter? You're like, no. Yeah, it's like the one <laughs> week we could have just cheated and said, well, this one. Yeah. I didn't. You right. know what it is? It's become it's become the Waluigi and Super Smash Brothers thing, where it's like, they're the underdog. They're the outset. Like, if they ever actually win, they cease to be Waluigi. So, like... If this, if it ever gets picked, it's just, it's just not the same. I guess, but that you, when we put, when we had that idea, you were like really excited about it. I'm still excited about it. I've made notes <laughs> on it, but I just think again, it's funnier that it's this like tragic underdog. Right. <laughs> this this episode topic that will never be. Ugh. One one it's day. A, we're it's gonna up have there a, with the second Star Wars episode. Right. We'll we'll have a month. A month that's just themed like stuff we're forcing our listeners to sit through. And the first episode Uh, will be that. But, um, yes. So, anyway, um, today we are doing a sort of deep dive on The Jungle Book, sort of talking about its existence in the Walt Disney Company and the film itself. Um, Before we begin, do we want to talk a little bit about what we've been up to? Yeah, definitely. Um... So, uh, as you all know, August is Carter's birthday month, and um, we've been doing, I guess we can cover, like, just about everything we've been doing, because we really have been kind of celebrating the entire month with different activities and stuff like that. Um, Oh, yeah, we've been out on the town. Yeah, we can kind of just, like, tell you about that stuff, because oddly enough, a lot of it is, like, (laughs) Disney-related, obviously. Um, well, first of all, as of the recording of this episode, yesterday was Carter's actual birthday, August 24th. Okay. 
Um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yes. So we, yes, and we were out on town, baby. Um, if you've been listening since February, when it was Sydney's birthday month, um, we did talk about our time visiting the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia, where they have the Disney 100 exhibition. Um, and we are catching the tail end of it. Like, February was the beginning of it, and it was running until August 27th. And so we fit in another visit to see the sights yet again for Carter's birthday. And 10 out of 10, it was just as great. Oh, yeah. Honestly, I was surprised how much... It really is amazing how much how much they change. How much you're like, yeah. I your perspective changes once you've seen it. So you're like focusing less on certain things, moving to other things. You're like reacting to the crowd differently. Mm-hmm. Um, we glossed right over that color guessing game that uh, nearly broke us. Right. Um, you know, it like, and I'm surprised, like you said, how topical it gets. Like they have new stuff there yeah. that wasn't there before. Right. Like both stuff that they like added because it's like, like, because when we first went, there was a lot of, like, interactive elements that weren't done. They were still, like, maintenancing them. Yeah, that's true. But also, like, there are now full, there are now sections on, like, the Marvels and the li- live-action Little Mermaid. Right. Which I think is very interesting. Yeah. And also, just, like, things that I had, I definitely remember from the last time I've been. So this was actually my third visit here. <laughs> oh, is, yes. This is, like almost my Barbie movie experience, but this was my third time visiting. So I, I was just sort of like vibing even more. Like that's kind of the benefit of having like taken in all the important information one time over that this time you're just kind of in there to like play with the stuff and just like enjoy it again. Um, and yeah, and because it's the tail end, this certainly was a smaller crowd than when we had first gone back in February. Um, so, so a lot of the interactive stuff was just available. Like, you know, there were long waits to, to see some of the stuff, like when we were there the first time. So like that, that Mm -hmm. Sleeping Beauty, the Sleeping Beauty, um, storybook, they had this like interactive storybook where you like turn the pages of this actual book and like a projected image of like, of the pages, like turns with, with the prop that you're playing with. Um, I had, like, never played with that before, so that was fun to actually get to touch. It was also, like, fun. There were so many fun, weird little quotes I noticed that were, like, on the walls and stuff that I didn't appreciate before. There's one for Snow White that for some reason really tickled me. Um, It was just, like, it was Walt Disney saying something along the lines of, like, the story really struck me. It had the sim or it has everything a story should have. It has sympathetic dwarves, and the fact that that's the first thing you say after it has what? everything a story needs, <laughs> right? I'm like, it's got all the ingredients of a movie. It's got seven dwarves. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like Mr. Hollywood trying to make his first movie. It's like I don't get it. Why aren't these movie things working? And someone <laughs> kicks down the door, sir. I figured it out, and then he just puts down like a drawing of a bunch of little guys with hats. Yes. And it's, it's like, my gosh, you're Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was a really fun experience to go back. Uh, like I said, the Franklin Institute is a gorgeous institution. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they're the one place that I would trust to do this exhibit right. And, like, oh, really, um, really, like, I don't know, really push it to be what it should be. You know, I was talking to, like, some of, like, other people about it who were, like, why I like people who live like in and around Philly like we think of ourselves as being kind of like forgotten a lot of the time do you know what I mean like in the ever in the shadows of New York um in terms of like yeah in terms of like a major city but like you're right there are things in it that are actually incredibly important incredibly special and so so like when you talk about like oh this is the only like this is one of three exhibits in the whole world like mm. for this Disney for this Disney 100 event and like i i've heard people say like why did they pick this but like you're right like there are i can't think of another institution that would be deserving of this kind of prestige than the Franklin Institute oh, yeah. yeah 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, it was just a fun trip in general. You know, we also went to the planetarium, got really um, existential about the sky. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we acquired you know, we a walked... new obsession and hobby, which is stars and planets and stuff. Yeah. We were brainwashed. My job into... isn't, yeah, my job isn't astronaut. It's not even astrologer. It's you know, common misconception. Space. It's just space. And you are so good at space. (laughs) I love that it's a back and forth, but we can't help but both do the lines. Yeah. Like, yeah, we had a great time. Um, You know, a rainy day in Philadelphia can be pretty fun. Walk Mm -hmm. in the streets, um, hit up our usual hangs like the Franklin Fountain, went to the waterfront. Um, Some bus driver was just playing with an RC car, um, (laughs) which I thought was very funny. It's funny Um, to think that, like, an off-duty bus driver still, like, in as a hobby, just, like, drives a smaller car, like, for fun when he's not driving a bus? You know what I think it is? That's I think hilarious. it's having more control. Like, a bus is so clunky, and it's so hard to move left and right. Yeah, and it's a Do hazard. you have a little toy that can, like, <laughs> right. swirl around and yeah. bob and weave? Probably feels very cathartic. Yes, exactly. Um... Yes, um, we drove home and did um, a full Disney playlist. You know, we were just locked in. Which I feel like was mostly in in Kanto. I mean, like, Spotify makes these, like, playlists. Because that was, like, a Spotify-made playlist of, like, Disney hits. But it updates them, like, as new films come out. Because they were, Mm -hmm. like... So, because they put, like, whatever the newest film is, like, they put those songs up front, like, on those playlists. So we were hearing a lot of, like, Turning Red and things from the live action little mermaid and Encanto, but i feel like we were just jamming out to Encanto the whole time oh yeah i mean again that's like one of disney's secret strengths is how topical they get with things yeah like how it's like you can't hyper focus on one thing for more than a year and a half like we got to keep moving there always has to be a new thing right like you know Encanto will be quietly put away the minute wishes soundtrack comes out you think? Really? Uh, that's I mean, a, it's gonna. It's gonna be a. I mean, a the audience statement. isn't gonna fully. Tra- yeah. Well, the audience isn't gonna be fully prepared to transition, but Disney will be. I don't. I mean, I guess that's a difference. I like, can't imagine us being willing to forfeit our. We don't talk about Bruno, but I guess in the past we we thought, let it go would would um, never freaking let it go. You know. I mean. Yeah, well, see, that's an example of a transition, because, like, when Moana came out, it did take a while for the frozen that's of it true. all to melt away. Right. That's, oh, that's we were really laying it on thick, yeah. Um, I mean, it's a Disney podcast. Of course we're laying it on thick. Right. That's part of the um, Otherwise, another fun thing we did for my birthday is, um, what's funny is we're a Disney podcast, but neither of us has ever tried Dole Whip. Yeah, I don't know why. Um, as somebody who's actually been to the parks, I don't know why I just had never come across it. Um, I was always aware of it in the Disney parks mythos. There is like one day we will need to talk about like the culture of Disney park going, which truly mm-hmm. feels separate from the culture of Disney film watching and Dis- and like, like right. there is a lifestyle of Disney park going that's like it has its own sort of little bubble world and there's like it has its own economy and it has its own food and it has its own like biome like it i mean that's a funny thing have you shoot what was it called the florida have you ever heard of a movie called the florida projects oh that sounds familiar it was like it's about like a family who or it's about like a single mother and their kid living in like Florida projects, like, around the park. And I, I'm not the hugest fan of it. Like, it's one of those films I acknowledge is, like, technically and structurally good, but there's just a lot of ick about it that kind of turns me off of it. Wait, is it a documentary um, or is it, like, a film? Like a like a narrative? It's a film, but it's shot very, like, matter-of-fact. Like, it's shot in a way where you could mistake it for a documentary. When you say projects, do you mean, like, housing projects? Yes. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And there's, like, and it leans into the idea of, like, isn't it so weird that there's this culture of, like, people who can afford to go to this park every other month. Right. While, like, the people around the area just have no money. And literally, one of the grifts the mom gets into is selling, like, effectively stolen fast pass wristbands. Oh. That's smart. Yeah. (laughs) That's um, what I would be doing. Like, they scoop them up from people who don't need them anymore and then sell them at a profit. But... 
Yeah, it, it, it really fascinates me. Like, that's something we need to dig into more. Like, I would love to get someone who is, like, a constant park goer and just be like, mm-hmm. how do you, like, how does this work for you? Yeah. Why? What's, what's the big plan here? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, anyway, so we discovered that a local water ice place um, in our town happens to sell Dole Whip now for some reason. They just right. decided to make that a part of their menu. So uh, we were like, oh, wouldn't it be cute as a birthday thing to finally try Dole Whip? Um, yeah. I still don't 100% understand what it is. I know it's vegan. <laughs> yeah. But I've yet to have someone actually explain to me what the ingredients are. Okay, wait. So, well, well, we can try to explain what it tastes like. So, like, Dole as in the brand Dole. Uh, like, the brand that makes fruit. Um, or that they don't make the fruit. They can it and sell it. Um, so you've seen the company Dole, like they make produce. You've probably seen Dole lettuce or like canned, like fruit, um, fruit cups and things like that. Um, so it is pineapple based. It's almost like a creamy smoothie type consistency, but it is solid. That's a good way. Like an ice cream. Yeah. So like, yeah, that's kind of like, like maybe frozen yogurt. Is frozen yogurt close? I would say frozen yogurt's close, but you're right. It does have, like, the texture of a smoothie because it has, yeah. like, the fruit element of it. Right. Um, it is shockingly sweet. I did not expect it to be as sweet as it is. Yeah. And granted, I'm not a big pineapple person, so maybe it's just oh. my understanding of pineapple is different. Well, you liked you liked this, though, right? Oh, yeah. It's really um, good. We got, yeah, they had pineapple and raspberry, so I'm like, just do a swirl. Let me get the spec, like the whole spectrum we have here right now. Yeah, and it was um, really good. I definitely, as we were eating yeah, it, I was like, I, I could have gotten to... a bigger size of this because it was good. Yeah, I'm like, I hate to admit it, but as we're like eating and walking around, I'm like, shoot, I kind of <laughs> see why this has become the cultural staple of Disney parks. Like, I understand oh, yeah. why, like, when they announce a new flavor or a new gimmick, because like I follow Disney food blogs, they are always like oh, check out this uh, mango habanero one they made for Elemental. Or, like, um, oh, for the Disney 100, they have these, uh, like, this platinum version that's, like, purpley and silver. And I'm like, yeah, I get why you would rush to try every single flavor of this. Is that a real thing? The pl- oh, a yeah. platinum version? Or, I think, like, the decorations are platinum, but I think right. it's just purple. Because that's, like, the colors they picked for the Disney 100. Right. Um, but yeah, like they do, like, you know, they have this like, um, sort of like oceanic one. They have so many different flavors and I'm like, yeah, I could see this being, like, I can see how you become like a Ben and Jerry's guy with this. Right. Like, every flavor. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. One, one day we'll talk more about park culture, but we just wanted to share that it, it was relevant. Yeah. We just wanted to talk a little bit about like, you know, we had an awesome day and we wanted to talk about it. We did. Um, yeah. You know, and we didn't really have a segment for it, so we're like, screw it, let's just do it. Yeah, this is our podcast. We can talk about whatever we want. <laughs> Sydney and Carter touch grass sometimes. Yeah, we didn't do it yesterday, but don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, but won't. it was kind of rainy. I didn't want to get I didn't want to get my pants wet. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, what were we what's what's the what's the episode topic today? Um something about some animals. Oh yes. <clears throat> Which is the most broad thing you can say about Disney. Something about some animals. Yeah, well, see, that's kind of where my big thesis of this is going to build up to. Oh, I um, see. Yeah. Um, so if you follow our Patreon, you know we do these kind of deep dive episodes where I try to add a lot of historical context and, like, present it as a thesis. I don't think I'm going to go that hard for this one, but I did, like, you know, I did my homework, and there's a lot of interesting stuff about this movie. So The Jungle Book came out in 1967, ten months after Walt Disney died. So this is his, it's effectively his final film. While there was probably, there's some live action stuff that would still come out. This was the last Disney animated film that he contributed to. Um, I would argue that the entire road for this movie is kind of paved by Walt Disney. In particular, in particular, his obsession with Sleeping Beauty. Um, after Cinderella comes out and becomes this huge hit for the company, that kind of like re-energizes the animated scene. Because leading up to that, they'd kind of been, like, in, like, war-era, like, episodic adventure stuff, like Ichabod and Mr. Toad, Melody Time, where it's like, we literally do not have the resources to make a feature-length film. And after Cinderella, he's like, all right, we're doing Sleeping Beauty, 
this is going to be my masterpiece. This is going to be the seminal animated work that anyone will ever make. It'll be up there with like Gone with the Wind, Casablanca. It'll be that level of prestige. And they spend a crazy, like making any animations expensive, they spent somehow even more on uh, Sleeping Beauty. And it kind of didn't work. Like, <laughs> you know, the like it, it got generally positive critical reception, but so much of the energy was like, it's fine, it's a little formulaic. You mm-hmm. know, we've seen this before, Disney, even if it looks nicer. Um, and, you know, we talk so much about, like, the pre-Disney renaissance being this moment where, like, there was just an axe looming over the head of the entire animation studio. After this, there was already talk of that. Like, it's so wow. weird to think, like, for, like, 90% of the di- existence of Disney animated studios, there's been a thought of, like, well, do we really need this? And it, it doesn't really make money, you know? Like... And that's the thing. Up until the Renaissance movies, most of these movies don't make a profit on their first go-round. Right. They're more like, well, you re-release them a hundred times, you send them on road shows, you sell the albums, mm-hmm. the merchandise. Like, it's literally everything around them that justifies the existence of right. a super expensive 70-minute hand-drawn thing. You did mention that um, he died, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, um, and, like, it resulted in, like, the next couple films, like, leading up to Jungle Book... So 101 Dalmatians, Sword of the Stone, and Jungle Book, they're all, like, kind of responses or reactions to um, Sleeping Beauty not finding its reaction. They're all a lot cheaper. They're, mm. like, and we'll talk about the it way some of the shows. corners get cut. Yeah. Um, in terms of, like, the pomp and circumstance of animation. Like, tonally, they're all a lot, like, lighter and sort of goofier and more, like, I hate to use the word less pretentious, but they, are, like, they don't have that pomp and circumstance. They, it's not, they... like... They lack a level of, like, sort of refinement and maturity. Yes, I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Like, and we'll talk about that when we get to Jungle Book itself. But, like, yeah, and they're all, like, weirdly modern. Like, 101 Dalmatians was a book for, like, five years before Disney optioned it. Like, that's kind of a really weird turnaround for them. Like, this isn't, like, the era of, like, Hunger Games where it's, like, before the book's even finished being written, like, the publisher is, like, okay, we're going to get you a movie deal, like, pretty much set up to go. We'll send the manuscript around. Right. Um, You know, Sword in the Stone is, like, weirdly proto-Aladdin in some ways. Like, Mm. the whole bit with Merlin is he's modern. Mm Mm-hmm. It literally, I, I, like, I watched it just for this exercise, and I forgot, literally, the end of the movie is him making a joke, like, they'll make films about you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love that part. Really? That's what we're doing here? Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I He's guess. He's got a converse um, on, yeah. Yeah, he has shorts. He went to Bermuda. Yeah. Um, and that leads us to uh, Jungle Book. It was R- Rudyard Kipling's sort of signature work. He wrote in 1894. He was, you know, he's one of those British people who grew up in India after the colonization, and he kind of wrote it based on his experiences, and that's as racist as you would think. I was just going to, well, I was going to make a point, yeah, Disney, um, Disney Plus gives us a, this film might be racist disclaimer when you turn it on. Yes. Um, what is it? I wish I wrote down the exact wording, but like, it is something along the lines of like, you know, this film presents cultural stereotypes that the Disney company no longer endorses or supports. It was not okay then and yeah, it's not it, okay now. They have the line like, it wasn't okay then and it's not okay now. And I'm like, okay. Well... All right. Well, you also can't skip it. There's like a timer that's like the movie will play in ten. Oh, nine. Yeah, you must read it. Yeah. <laughs> you have to think about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a guilt trip of like, well, I guess if you want to watch this movie, we won't stop you. But yeah, you know, but it's no, racist. No <laughs> yeah. Uh, Here you go. We'll, enjoy your we'll movie. You <laughs> yeah, enjoy your movie, you fucking scumbag, <laughs> and then they spit on you. <laughs> But yeah, this is like one of those books, like, because there's like a hundred different projects and like books that Disney was like circling around, basically from the minute he figured out he could make a feature like the animated film. Um, Like, you know, Don Quixote was that famous one that they just kept trying to make. He'd been working on a version of Snow Queen uh, Frozen for forever and then just gave up on it. He was basically circling this book the minute he formed the Walt Disney Company. Mm. They finally get the rights in 1962 and... um, 
they put Bill Pete on it, who I believe did a lot of work on Sword in the Stone and Dalmatians. He was like a big part of the company during this era. Mm. And his early drafts were kind of pretty accurate representations of the book in terms of like tone. Like they were kind of dark, they were brooding and melodramatic. They really leaned into like the mythology of the jungle and this idea of like all these politics and stuff. But when Sword in the Stone underperformed, Walt basically was like, you know what? I have to be more hands-on. I have my fingers in so many pies. I need to lock in on the animation studio to get this, like, to my standard again. And in the process, he threw everything out, um, <laughs> which pissed Bill Pete off so much, he left the company. Just apparently they were in, like, basically an, a screaming match for days, and he just quit. Um, as he put it later... You know, you really couldn't, you know, Walt's snap decisions just really couldn't be questioned. So he brings in an entirely new story team led by Larry Clemens. And uh, I do appreciate how candid, like, the actual Disney behind-the-scenes stuff for this is because it gives me a good, like, if they're willing to admit stuff like this, I'm like, okay, I trust some most of this is accurate. Mm -hmm. um, apparently, he was like, hey, have you ever read the book? Good, don't read it. Um, it's a story about a boy raised by wolves goes to a man village and like the signature quote is let's have fun with it and it seems like basically the whole time you realize the appeal to the appeal to Walt Disney wasn't the fact that it was like this deep mytho mythological like dark like fable yeah it was more he liked the idea of a big sandbox um, set right. in an exotic location with all of these like vibrant personalities exactly and from there he was basically involved with like all the story meetings he was he was acting out scenes trying to figure out like what the funniest joke could possibly be in a segment he was giving suggestions on voice cast he was like chiming in on individual animated frames like this was his baby for a while going forward yeah um which leads us to the actual like movie I will say it is funny because, like, the beginning of the movie, like, it's interesting because we have the classic, like, storybook opening, and then it has, like, sort of a more moody, sort of, like, thematic opening that I feel like just kind of betrays the rest of the movie. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's weird. Jungle Book is something that I, like, I remember watching, like, kind of frequently as a kid, but probably haven't seen in the last 15 years like at mm -hmm. least um so revisiting it for this was definitely interesting um but of course see like watching anything after like you you know look at look at any sort of filmmaking or storytelling critically like you just don't watch anything the same but um oh yeah but yeah the opening i was like Oh, okay. So, this 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 whole like choosing the dad life thing is kind of <laughs> charming. <laughs> I see the appeal. Right. Yeah, it's like it starts with this like really moody opening where we're just getting all of these like different shots of the jungle, and then it goes into like an actual like lore bit of like you know, you know, we found this boy in the jungle, and you know. And we didn't eat him. him None of us ate him. Yeah. Our first reaction we all wasn't eaten to eat him. him. It was, yeah, we should have. I do love that they, <laughs> I think one of the funniest things is the entire time Bagheera has an energy of like, you know, like Baloo is like the emotional father figure. Yeah. Whereas Bagheera just seems exhausted. By the end of the movie, Baloo is like very upset that he just lost his like surrogate son. And Bagheera right. just has an energy of like, this was a fucking nightmare. Yeah. This was co-parenting like with a divorced couple yes the movie like every musical. single step of the way i made the wrong decision on this right fight. exactly um yeah but it's like the first like chunk of the movie even with the first bit with ka because basically the movie starts out with this introduction of mowgli being found abandoned in the jungle uh bagheera takes him to the wolf pack I also, rama decides to raise him can i just say i never noticed like i never really thought about where mowgli came from but until mm -hmm. watching it this time, and I was like, oh, did his parents, like, die in a boating accident? Um, it's interesting, because um, one of the cool behind-the-scenes for this movie is the original ending, he does actually, like, he goes into the man village, and his parents are there, and they explain, like, you know, the floods took our boat away and took our kid with it. 
that's so the idea is they're still alive okay right like that's so more roundabout than just oh they died I would have accepted they died because they show his, like, bassinet thing in a crashed boat. Like, that's enough storytelling in and of itself. It, that would have made mm-hmm. a lot more sense. Than our, Which is than probably our, why they did in the live-action version. Yeah, that would have made a lot more sense. Because there's no, like, in what... Like, what do you mean your boat took your baby and you didn't go looking for it? Well... Okay. Yeah, but the jungle's dangerous. I will say, like, we talk, like, a lot of people dismiss this movie as having, like, no plot or, like, no, like, mythology, and it's like, oh, it's just a series of goofs. And while chunks of the movie are true, I do like the lore they create between the man village and the jungle of, like, the jungle really is this terrifying thing to, like, man. Like, they, they know. You don't go in there. You will not make it unless you have fire. Well, here's my thing, is, like, for, for films of this era... I can accept a movie having no plot and Mm -hmm. being a series of vignettes. Like, that actually seems normal and kind of appropriate for for this time period of this kind of storytelling. Um, But what what kept hanging me up, which again, this is just me choosing to like think logically about a movie, like silly me, um, is that like, they, like, the animals have context for who and what Mowgli is, but why do they expect that he should, and how does he have context for himself? Hmm. That's a good question. Like, I guess, like, they know, well, they tell him he's a man cub. Like, they never tell him, like, But what like, does that oh, even mean? Wolf, he's never even weird. seen one. Well, I think, like, I'm not the hugest fan of the ending of this movie. Neither um, am I, and we'll get to that. But, like, it does work in the sense of, like, and this will be me begrudgingly giving Tarzan a compliment. I like how, like, infatuated this person who's never seen a person is when they meet a person. Like, I love that shot in Tarzan where he takes off Jane's glove and realizes their hands look exactly the oh, same. you're another one of me. And he has this me. moment of, like, I can't process this. What, yeah. Who are you? Yeah. And then he's like, yeah, of course I'm going to spend time with these people. I need to figure this out. What is this? Right. What is the part of this I'm missing? Um, yeah, and but I will say, like, the thing that helps me stitch together all these vignettes is, again, they do a good job of, like, establishing the world. Like, oh, I like yeah. the fact that, like, no, really, no, other than Baloo meeting Mowgli for the first time, no characters are really getting introduced to each Not other. properly, no. Like, everyone knows everyone. It yeah. adds to that, like, sort of jazz club energy of, like, right. oh, you know all the people here. Right. But it also adds to the, like, lore of the jungle. Like, I like the fact that Bagheera immediately is like, oh, fuck, cause here. And, yeah. like, knows, like, this person's dangerous. They can mm-hmm. hypnotize me. Like, he knows, like, to close his eyes and be like, no, no, ka, no. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Shere Ka is presented as this looming threat who is just, like, like, he will show up at some point and he will create problems. Yeah. Like, Baloo knows who Shere Khan is and he's like, ah, that guy's not gonna, we don't need, you know, let's not worry about that right now. Right. Like, when Bagheera realizes Mowgli's phone in with Baloo, he's like, oh, this fucking bum. I know, yeah. Oh, this, what do you, like, in the logic of, like, this, like, sort of goofy 60s Britain they've created in the right? jungle. Yeah. What is Baloo supposed to be? What do you mean, what is he supposed to be? Like, what? what like, what's his role in society? Like, is oh, he like a, a beach about? bum? Is he like a... Yeah, he he's boxes a, a lot. He's I'm like, a is he a boxer? Nick. He's a beatnik. Um, he's a vagabond beatnik. Right. Um, he, he feels like he should have like a stick with a bindle on it. Yes, Exactly. Um, and I guess that's sort of the po- point of the Bare Necessity song of like, oh, I get by, like, by being lazy and it works yeah, for me. Yeah, doing my thing. Yeah. And I survived that way and, uh, ain't nothing to it but to do it. And that's it. Yeah. And I mean that, like, I like that because again, it's nice to have all the vignettes connected with this idea of like everyone either willingly or unwillingly being a surrogate friend or family member to Mowgli. The idea right. is we're seeing, like, it's not the same politics of the Ru- the Kipling books, but, like, it's the, it has its own rules and logic to the world. Every animal has their clique that runs the same way. Right. Like, and I, I think the vignettes make a lot of sense in, in a 
when we're telling a story about like a a boy being able to survive in the jungle mm. coming across all of these groups who like teach him something new mm-hmm. yeah I mean it keeps that fable energy of like oh you meet a talking animal you learn something from them right. you meet a new talking animal you learn a slightly different lesson right also, I was thinking in terms of adaptation, and this is kind of the hot take I was telling you about going in. Something I love so much about, like, these older movies that start with the storybook. Like, you show the book on a table, mm-hmm. you open it, and then we're animated. I mean, it's called I like Jungle the, Book. Well, yes. But I especially love, for this era in particular, they start with these very moody, sort of thematic setting openings. Like, right. Sword in the Stone, for all its goofiness, starts with this very, like, traditional, like, you know, the great king of England has died, right. leaving the country in turmoil. We are waiting for the heavens to answer, and whoever can pull this sword. Um, you know, Robin Hood does the same thing, where it starts with, like, presenting the Robin Hood tale as it traditionally is. And it's Disney's Robin Hood that gave me this idea, because the roos- Alan Adale, the rooster, has a comment, like, you know, there's a lot of different tales about what happened in Sherwood Forest, but here's our version. And I like the idea that, like, the storybook is like, oh, here is the traditional tale, and the minute everything starts getting animated, it's like, that's the Disney version. Like, people mm-hmm. complain about Disney, like, sanitizing or whitewashing fairy tales, and it's like, well, no, they're acknowledging the original tale, but this is the Disney version. Right. Yeah, the the opening, um, like, credit sequence of it reminded me a lot of watching, like, the old westerns. Like, it felt like I was, like, turning on an episode of, like, Bonanza or something, like... Oh, that yeah. was just sort of, like, I feel like that has more to do with its, like, orchestration. Right. Which I quite like, out, you know, aside from their more pop songs that are in this. Um, mm. I I sort of like their take on, like, kind of, like, an, an Indian-inspired, in, and I say that so gingerly, <laughs> um, like, oh, orchestration. Yeah. But speaking of music, actually, you know, and we can, and, you know, we can talk more in depth about the songs in this. Um, oh, yeah. Why are so many films of this era, well, I should say, why are so many Disney films of this era, like, what you need is jazz? <laughs> like, why? Everybody likes jazz. Like, why is, like, this is, why, why is it just me or, like, do all of these 60s Disney films have a segment where, like, the main part of the adventure is, like, going to a jazz club? <laughs> Like, I think Disney, of all companies, very much is, like, what is the new hot thing right now? Or rather, like, what have we decided to hyperfixate on as, yeah. like, a sound for the era? Um, and let's go all in on that. Because that's definitely 100 Dal- 101 Dalmatians and Aristocats. And Aristocats. I guess it like, changes, yeah, it changes around Robin Hood, but that has its own energy. Yeah, you need but jazz. But doesn't kids. Robin Hood have, a, like, a dance section like I, I swear in Robin Hood they are like at a party or something it is but that goes for more of like a honestly I like my brain always it has very Renfair energy like okay. Appalachian Renfair that. energy right <laughs> like very folksy like um sort of like Mountain America energy uh-huh. um yeah but like it is so weird that they lock in on that as the jungle but I will say in terms of like storytelling with music like, we talk about, like, diegetic, non-diegetic. This mm-hmm. is kind of an interesting version of diegetic, where it's, like, they're actually singing. They're acknowledging that everyone's oh, singing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, one thing I really like is how, like, kinetic the songs get. Like, when Louis gets ready to start his song, he he's doing, like, his little scat bit, ba-doop, ba-doop, boop, boop, and then goes, like, he, like, literally, like, counts himself in by, like, tapping the ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, Baloo starts scratching his back to the rhythm of uh, oh, Bare Necessities. Yeah, that's something I wanted to talk about um, in terms of the design and animation of this film. Like, mm. it is so delightfully um, choreographed. Like, it, I must say, like, oh, there's, yeah. they drew with, like, such musicality. Um, yes. Which is so charming and so well done. Yeah, and I think that's, like, I think that's, like, it's interesting, because this is not, like, I wouldn't call this a musical. I wouldn't say, like, yeah. again, comparing this to the Renaissance era, it's not a traditional musical in the sense of, like, uh, like the s- songs are leading the story. The songs yeah. are telling narrative, like, have narrative function beyond. Right. 
like, I would describe this as, like, a pre-Broadway, like, you know, I, I've been doing a lot of research on, like, Broadway history and, like, what led up to the traditional American musical. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, like, really that, like, 1920s sort of, like, proto-musical era, like, reviews or, like, one-person shows or, like, Cabaret. vaudeville yeah. acts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, where it's, like, the songs vaguely tell the story, but they're independent enough that you can just sell them on a disc without the context of, like, the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more, yeah, it's vignette scenes that are all connected by a loose plot thread interspersed with, like, fun, entertaining numbers. But, yes, I will say, like, this, out of all, like, out of all these early um, animated films, is very much one where it feels like it was led by the music and everything was animated around that. In a lot of ways, I think it really does harken back to, like, the earliest Disney stuff. Like, you know, the original era of Disney before they started making feature-length films was you had your character shorts and then you had your um, silly symphonies, you know. You had, like, your Mickey Mouse in Steamboat Willie. And then you right. would have, like, you know, the Three Little Pigs, which was just, like, a fun little musical section with a story around it. Right, exactly. Like, these, all of these feel like little silly symphonies connected right. together <laughs> by one big plot. They are. Um, the, and, oh, actually, here's a fun little fact for you. So, like, originally they brought in Terry Glickson to do um, the music before they brought the Sherman Brothers in. You know, before Walt's like, what are we doing here? Let's call in, let's call in the boys. Right. Um, so his work, like, leaned into that darker tone a little more. Uh, basically, all of it was thrown out except one song. Can you guess what one song that is? Is it the, the last song? I thought that, too. That seems like the obvious one, but it isn't. It's Bare Necessities. Really? Right? Because that like, sounds so like weird. a Sherman Brothers song. Right? Like, literally, Walt was like, hey, we got this one song. I need you to write every other song for me, please. Right. <laughs> right? It doesn't feel like it would have fit whatever the original vision of the movie was. Yeah. But I guess it was close enough. Mm. Um, well, that's another thing. Like, I'm not a fan of the final song, but I do like it, again, because talking about, like, storytelling through music... Mm-hmm. Like, the jungle has this consistent musical energy. And they right. and Blue talks about it, like, the rhythm of the jungle. Like, mm-hmm. the rhythm of, like, the woods. And, like, I like that they all have that. And, you know, we hear one song from a person, and it's completely different. Yeah. It has nothing to do with anything we've just heard before. Right. Like, I think that's Which is cool. why it's, and again, a, it's a siren song, almost. And we can talk about that. Yes, we. I will rant about that shortly. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, there's actually a lot of fun stuff um, animation-wise on this movie. So I think I talked to you a little bit about this yesterday while we were hanging out. So, and I don't think I've explained this very well on any of our episodes, so I might as well use this overly indulgent breakdown of The Jungle Book to do so. Okay, so traditional Disney feature-length animation. The idea is, so an animator makes the drawing. You know, they do the keyframes. Someone then does the in-betweens of, like, Here's one pose, here's the other pose. You've got to draw all the different images in there. Um, then you get someone called an inker, who their job is to take an actual like cell of film, like a clear framed cell, put it on top of the drawing, and then trace it. They calling it, which is called inking. And then you paint, and that's how you like get the character design. Mm-hmm. That's also why in like traditional animation the characters look so different from the backgrounds. Like, they're not made of the right. same stuff. They use different materials and they use different techniques. Right. Like, the backgrounds are literally just straight up... Watercolor like, almost? painted, whereas, yeah. like, you have all these different steps for the characters. Then you take all of those, the backgrounds and the characters, stack them up on this, like, collection of glass planes, and then take a photo, and it's like, that's your frame of animation. Mm-hmm. So, as a cost-cutting mechanism, um, around 101 Dalmatians, post-Sleeping Beauty... They've been experimenting with, what if we could use a Xerox machine to take the drawing and put it on a clear sheet right away? Like, there's no middle step there. We take it straight from the pencil to the sheet we need for the multiplane. And that is why all the characters from this era have this really sketchy, pencil-y look. Right. Because no one is taking the time to create these really clean, beautiful outlines. And there are, like, positives and benefits of both. Like, a lot of mm-hmm. people, like, when they were marketing this film, they really sold it as, like, hey, we're getting the pure drawing. No, like, no, like, artistic interpretation from the animator. Right. Um, 
And you can I think it's really very see that sort of pencil-like quality in this one. Even in characters that oh, aren't yeah. moving. There is, it's almost like when you draw with pencil and you try to erase it, and there's still sort of like these oh, ghost-like yeah. lines around it. <laughs> you can see a lot of that in this. You know, you know one place that feels very obvious? Where? The elephants. Oh, like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, on their trunks, the lines are constantly moving right. and like shifting. Yeah. And... I will say, I do like it for this era of kind of looser, goosier movies. Yeah. Like, it fits the... It's a lot of stuff that inadvertently came together to make sense. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense when you're, like, doing this sort of looser, jazzier, plot light version of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, and it was also, like, a big one. It's interesting that, like, they talk about so much, like, we really were animating around the voice actors. Um they got uh, Louis Prima to yeah. do uh, King Louis, and they basically animated the entire section based on like moves he was doing while performing the song. Mm. Like one of his big gimmicks was like he would have he would like walk around the stage and his um, entourage, like his collection of instrument players, would like follow behind him. Mm-hmm. So like they make this whole sequence around the comedy of like all of his like little monkey underlings are following him around and he's getting annoyed by it. Right. Um, speaking of which characters, we haven't really gotten broken down the individual characters, but I guess it's interesting because it's like, each character goes with their vignette. What is your favorite vignette of the bunch? I mean, I have always really liked the vultures. I always forget about the vultures, but I did, they're weirdly, they weirdly win you over. Yeah, they're, it's their accents. Like, I don't know why they are the most charming thing to me even though like i i always liked um the whole i want to be like you sequence as a number that's just the most fun part of the whole film but i've always like there's something sort of cozy and charming about um the vultures i just like their beetles haircuts and why like why did we put wigs on them like no no other animal like has like hair hair the answer, <laughs> don't know why the answer to that question is the answer to every odd creative decision in this movie. Drugs. Because Walt Disney really, well, yes, but Walt Disney really hyper fixated on it. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, he was like, yeah, that's how we're doing it. The original, they somehow managed, like a lot of the old, like early drafts of this film were lost, but they did find early like recordings of like the Sherman Brothers working on the song and they really leaned into the Beatles thing. Mm-hmm. They did that, um... You know how, like, songs like She Loves You have those, like, woo Yes. Um, those little, like, flaily woo <laughs> yes. Um, It had a lot of that. It had, yeah. like, it sounded like they basically, like, recreate Ringo's drum kit. That's the amount of percussion you're allowed to use on this. Right. Uh, One of them, I swear, even kind of talks like, um, like, Paul McCartney. <laughs> like, they, like, I feel right. like they were just imitating his accent and his, like, uh, you know, voice all together. Yeah. And also, again, it ca- they captured the lazy, laid-back style that a lot right. of this film falls into perfectly in terms of, like, they're literally just sitting on a tree stump, surrounded by this, like, gorgeously realized, like, kind of desolate land, mm-hmm. and they're just like, so what do you want to do today? I saw, I always, what I liked, you know, <laughs> it watching this again as an adult, like, sort of finding things funny that I didn't, hadn't before, I felt at that, at that point in the story... Um, it was fitting for Mowgli to have less sort of like bumped into them because it's kind of framed around like, he's not dead yet, but he could be. <laughs> right. And that's sort of like yeah. the point of the vultures just like hanging out there. Is that something right. dead like, could pop up? the tiger shows up then. Right. Like, yeah. Like for animals that, that, uh, swarm around things that are already dead, like they could just wait and he could, he could very well end up dead right here. Oh, yeah. And that also leads, like, it's so funny, and, like, I think one of the reasons why I always sneak Shere Khan up into my, like, top Disney villains is, like, I like when the villain doesn't necessarily match the tone of the rest of the movie. I think that creates a very unsettling element when they're, like, not playing around with everyone else. Right. Um, Like, it's what I described with, like, the Adventure Time pitch book, which was, like, very goofy and filled with memes and jokes. And then it just has one page on the lich, and it's like, the lich is not funny. That's like the opening line of the pitch. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, it's so, like, 
the introduction of Shere Khan is, like, I forgot how awesome a section that is. Because, again, when you're a kid, you just remember, like, the musical sections. But Shere Khan is animated. Like, he's animated like an animal to start. Like, right. he doesn't, like, yeah, he's not talking. He's not doing, like, crazy expressions or He doesn't or stand up on his hind legs. Yeah. yeah. He's just stalking this deer, and he's, like, for a minute, you're like, oh, my God, is he going to get it? Yeah. And then the elephants show up and mess everything up, and then he becomes a character. And even just, like, the little bit he does with Ka, that's, like, this fun little physical bit. Like, he's the one guy who can't, like, what a great, we've had to deal, Ka's the one guy we've had to deal with more than once. He's right? almost killed two of our characters. Yeah. And Shere Khan, it's barely, like, a mild inconvenience for him to interact with this annoying snake. Yeah, I, I've, I appreciate how sort of, like, neutral Ka is um, in terms of, mm. like, not, like, for, from the outset, you may sort of assume that they're, like, a villain, but they're kind of just yeah. self-interested and, like, it's just sort of dog-eat-dog or snake-eat-child. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's like, just what he does. Yeah, he has no allegiance to Shere Khan. No. He just wants to eat this kid. He'd eat and Shere Khan like, if he had the opportunity. Yeah. yeah, like, if it came up, he would, yeah, he wouldn't hesitate. He's right. going to eat Garrett. Like, it doesn't matter. He just wants to eat. He's just a weird little guy who likes eating. Right. Who talks like Winnie the Pooh. Yes, who is Winnie the Pooh. Well, yes. Yeah. Um... And yeah, he gets the most badass line. Why should I run from you? Well, everyone runs from Shere Khan. Mm, um, that's valid. But yeah, I mean, I can't decide between the I want to be like you section or the bare necessity scene. I will say the Ka trusted me bit is grossly underrated just because it, again, it is another example of like the joys of animation. Just being mm-hmm. like, here's a character who is indefinitely long and yeah. like can theoretically take any shape he wants. And they basic, and again, it's just like a animated like, it's like an animated little, like, vignette. It's just, right. like, here's all the fun little visual gags we can do with this. Right. But, like, I want to be like you feels like a more accurate representation of the whole film, but I also yeah. understand why Bare Necessities is the iconic song. Yeah. And um, is it, is it the iconic song? I mean, like, I don't know. Sometimes I think I want to be like you is the is the let so it go tough. it is kind of wild that they have two songs like because that's just not i don't know it, it like it's so rare to get a disney movie that this that's this well balanced with songs yeah. mm-hmm. like it always feels like you know it always feels like there's the obvious song they're gonna push for the oscar or push as like the song which is why Encanto was such a nice change of pace where it's like Wait, why are they pushing Doso Take? Like, why are they pushing this song? Why are they mm-hmm. not pushing We Don't Talk About Bruno for yeah. the Academy? Or why aren't they pushing um, Waiting on a Miracle? Mm-hmm. Like, like, I would say it's rare to have such a nicely balanced um, yeah. Disney movie. Um, all right, what else? Well, should we talk about it? We, <laughs> we gotta, we gotta talk, we talk about, about the ending. Yeah, we gotta. <sighs> Could we not sexualize the eight year olds, please? Yeah, this is really gross. Yeah, this is where, like, you know, I'm not gonna lie, I kind of struggle to, I struggle to find, like, what what this company is sort of classifying as, like, the racism in, in, in the other parts of this film. It really is just the fact that, that the monkey does jazz. Yeah, that they're coated black. The fact and, that it's... And that yes, Baloo, yeah, like, may be doing blackface at one point. Yes. <laughs> See, okay, I didn't even cool. remember that controversy, but I was just, like, with the outline of the coconut, I'm like, eh, I kind of look mm-hmm, weird. Yep. And so, uh, yeah, and he even wears, like, a Josephine Baker banana bikini thing. Anyway, um... Blue, you weird guy. But but I'm like, oh, that's Blue's a weird guy. Can we just say that? Sure, we could say that. Um, I mean, we 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 could say he's a weird guy, but we could also say how like odd it is that they tried to convince us, and damn near did convince us that he was dead, and then just sort of stood up without any injuries, except maybe CTE. <laughs> I got I hate to admit it. That bit's really fucking funny to me that he's just listening to his death speech and right? gets so like, mad. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> like you're yeah. like there's a minute where you're like Bagheer could probably just scream, "You fuck." I and yeah. you'd be like, "Yeah, that's accurate." It's one of the it's one of the things that I appreciate about the live action is that like 
it does frame how annoying Baloo is <laughs> by making yes. um, Figura like annoyed with him, like act like actively kind of dislike him. Yes, where it's not just like oh here we go. It's like this charlatan is an <laughs> asshole. Do right. not associate with him. We are leaving. Do not be around. Exactly. Him. Um, do we well before we talk about the ending? Do you want to talk about the live action one real quick? No, or should we save that? We, we could. I don't know. Do you have anything else to say about the live action one? I didn't really think about it too deep for this. Honestly, I, I like again, I, like people memory hole how popular that movie was, but like that one actually is really good, and I like it because it it's like it takes everything that was good about this movie, but also does figure out a way to add like more mythic mythology to everything, and you know obviously be without you know the Kipling racism. Right. I like. I don't know. The source material was always racist, people. Yeah, like, there was, was only so much they were going to be person. able to do with this. Um, it's, you know, I, I realize it's like people only talk about the live action films if they're bad, and that's why we kind of don't hear about this one. This one just gets to hang out on a shelf of like, this was a good time. Yeah, we liked that one, and so we're just going to move along and look the other way. Um, yeah, I do Weirdly, remember the liking ending... it. Weirdly, the ending of the live-action one is closer to the original ending of this movie, which will get us to where we which, need to get for this uh, one thing. day we'll talk about the ending of, yeah. of this movie. Because, like, the idea is, Mo- in the live-action one, Mowgli comes back with the fire and is like, I'm going to fight you, Shere Khan. Basically proving Shere Khan's point that this man is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Blue has a great line in this where he's like, why would we take him to the man village? They'll turn him into a man. And I'm like, I like that. that Thank like, you. Yeah, that's valid. <laughs> Right? Exactly. <laughs> Where Shere Khan's like, oh, well, it's going to happen no matter what, so we might as well get out yeah, in front of him. Yeah, he's got that man in him. Like. Um, yes. The original ending for this movie, which they ended up storyboarding, like, they found the script, so they're like, eh, throw it on Disney+. Plus. We'll storyboard it and, like, act it out. Um, so there is a hunter in the... There's a hunter in the village who doesn't like Mowgli. He's like, you're making all these stories up. You never saw Shere Khan. Um, and... Mowgli decides to go back to the jungle and he's followed by this hunter who's like, you're going to take me to the monkey city so I can get all their gold. Um, Mowgli ends up, Shere Khan kills the guy, Mowgli shoots Shere Khan, and then he basically gets to live in both worlds as like this hero who killed the tiger that's terrorized the man village, but also he's now a hero of, you know, the this jungle. This was a deleted the Shere Khan. scene? Yes. Okay, good, because I don't like it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little busy. I see why they didn't do it. It I would have added like an extra 10, 15 minutes to the movie. Yeah. Um, but it's an interesting idea in terms of like letting Mowgli be like this creature of both worlds. Right. But yes, the ending of this movie so I'll say on paper, I get it. it Again, on the paper, idea I of get like, it, but it absolutely throws away everything that we've been doing for the last hour. Like like it just sort of balls up and chucks in the in the garbage everything that led up to this point. That like if we were working towards some kind of middle ground for Mowgli, like if if mm-hmm. between this this co parenting situation of these of these two that want different futures for him, mm-hmm. for him to just be like, oh no, sorry, he was seduced and there's nothing we can do about it. This all this was just for nothing. Is... Yeah. It's the fact that he's seduced and it's played as, like, a bit. Like, he gets that, yeah. like, googly eye face and then he, like, shrugs as he leaves his two friends behind. Because, again, it has, like, a Peter Pan energy of, like, oh, the Lost Boys, one of the Lost Boys found, like, you know, civilization and decided and to go back. And hit puberty like, and, yeah, that was yeah, that. <laughs> they, they turned their back on Neverland and once you do that, you can't come back. Right. And, like, if it was played a little more, like, tragically like credit to uh credit to the voice you know credit to our voice actors for Baloo and um Bagheera uh Sebastian Cabot and Phil Harris for like doing a good job of selling this yeah because like Baloo you really believe he's just like oh so that's it it's just over and it's like yeah well you had to grow up but the fact that it's done as him being like him you know hitting puberty and being like one day yeah yeah Yeah. they bugs bunny him where yeah, like, it's weirdly cartoony and nonchalant yeah. for what should be kind of an emotional scene. And it's like they really, really dig their heels into this whole like like she yeah, if she's supposed to be his age, which is like ten years old. 
Like, why do they have so many, like, close-up shots of her, like, batting her eyelashes? Like, they sort of frame her in, like, a a very bad light. Like, as if her intentions are, are bad. Are, are inherently right? like negative. It's weird. That and she is trying to, like, like listen to the behind. Yeah, you listen to the behind-the-scenes stuff, and they describe it as a siren song. And I'm like, what? For Again, what? it's just... But it's like... Right, it's like... You hyperfixated on this one weird specific direction, yeah. and despite it not being a hundred percent right, you just couldn't talk yourselves out of it. No, yeah, but anyway, this is where like, to me, this is where the overt racism is of like, hypersexualizing people of color. Yeah, like, the whole King Louis thing is weirdly similar to the Crows and Dumbo, where I'm like, mm. my guys, this is like the fifth most problematic. They're like. Right. Five to seven things more <laughs> problematic in this movie this. than the damn cartoon <laughs> right. animal. Like this yeah. is like on the in the iceberg meme. You're you're right. hyper fixating on the tip of that iceberg. There is a whole a lot more. giant ice rock under there. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah. It. I don't know. And it is disappointing because like the rest of the movie, I was like, man, this kind of rules. I was like, I'm gonna come in and really hard sell this movie because it is. I'm realizing I think it's kind of underrated as like Disney fair goes. Mm. Like I think it's. I mean, everyone knows it's like charming and silly, but yeah. at the same time, it's like weirdly earnest in a lot of places it and is, yeah. excessively creative and joyous. But then we have this scene, and I'm just like, what? What the hell is this? Yeah, it feels like a Why? complete waste. Why? Yeah. And it undercuts what's actually kind of a sweet ending between Baloo and Bagheera, where exactly. it's just like, he's gone. I'm, I'm going to miss him. And Bagheera's like, yeah, well, this was always going to happen. And whether we like it or not, it's probably for the best for him. Right. And we should probably just go back to where we are. Although the whole, like, even then, like, the whole, like, oh, let's go back to our world thing really does underline, like, the Kipling of it all, like, the Kipling problem of, like, yeah, maybe the guy who got to live in India because his country colonized India isn't right. the best voice for, like, nope. par- parables and fables centered around Indian English culture. Nope. It's not. <laughs> and, again, it undercuts this actual cute moment of, like, you know, Baloo and Bagheera. Bagheera constantly annoyed by Baloo, yet they're, like, shoulder and shoulder walking mm-hmm. together. Just, Be-bop like, sort away. of whistling. Yeah, doing their little tune. Right. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I was very struck by this ending. I don't know why I I didn't remember it playing out this way. Like, I I remember there being the girl, but I just yes. really had, did not remember, remember it, being it being this like offensive. This. Yeah. Yeah. And it, again, it's such a sour note. Like It is. It's man. awful. It, and it bums me out, too. Um, just because, again, I, like, I was excited. Yeah, so the legacy of this film is... Uh, kind of about the death of Walt Disney. Um, You know, um, so in uh, December 15th, 1966, he uh, passed away at age 65 of a circulatory collapse. He hadn't been feeling well for a while and had been struggling with lung cancer. And he was rushed to the hospital where um, he passed away. Uh, ten months later, The Jungle Book came out to generally positive reviews. Though it is interesting to see that, um, like, it feels like a cultural understanding that a lot of, like, the excessively positive reviews were more nostalgia for Walt Disney and the Walt Disney Company. Um, uh, Bare Necessities ended up being nominated for Best Song, but ended up losing to a song from Dr. Doolittle, which... I wish we could find an excuse to talk about that movie because the production history of that movie is fucking bananas. Um, it was like hundreds of live animals. The animals were a disaster the whole time. Apparently they put a bunch of ducks in a pond who hadn't grown their water-resistant f- feathers yet. So then a bunch of crew had to frantically dive into a lake to save ducks who were sinking. Uh, uh, apparently a giraffe stepped on its own ding-dong. Um, don't know how that happened, but I digress. This is actually the serious part. Um, there is a quote that really struck me with, um, in terms of, like, what the legacy of this movie is and, like, what it means for the Disney company. Uh, Charles Chamlin of the LA Times, at the time seeing the movie, wrote, It is a really, really good Disney film indeed, and nobody needs to say a great deal more. And that quote kind of struck me because, you know, we've been in our Disney heads for a while now. We've been doing the Disney 100, and... 
like, Walt's obsession with Sleeping Beauty was this obsession with be creating something more, creating something like greater beyond what his legacy had been at that time. But, and like, that seemed to be a thing that haunted him for the longest time, this worry that he was just a guy who made family entertainment, a guy who just made kids movies. Like I told you that one quote, he was sitting down with his family watching um, To Kill a Mockingbird and said something along the lines of, kids, that's the kind of movie I wish I could make. And for so long, he was chasing that. He was chasing his To Kill a Mockingbird. But in reality, I would argue this film really is, like, the. it's fitting that this was the film that was his last film, the film that he was very hands-on with, the film that he was very sort of pushing his vision for. Because so much of it is, like, what his career really was. Um, there's a great quote at the Disney 100 that is all these different sort of, like, sayings he had. Um, Until a character becomes a personality, it cannot be believed. Without personality, the character may do funny or interesting things, but unless they're able to identify themselves, their actions will feel unreal. Um, you know, some of the mantras of, like, exploring the wonders of the natural world. Um, you know... Curiosity inspires fear, uh, spirit of adventure and discovery. So much of this film captures that because it's like a movie about personalities. It's less right. about the storytelling and more about these individual wacky characters. It's about these characters having distinct iconic personalities. People who haven't seen Jungle Book in decades can tell you exactly what Baloo and King Louie and Ka were like. Right. Um, and going back to what I was talking about with like the early Disney works, you know, the you know, the cartoon animal shorts and the silly symphonies. This is kind of a feature-length version of that. Right. It is these vignettes of, like, Mowgli the Human and Ka the Snake starring in um, <laughs> a hissy situation. I couldn't think of anything. A hissy um, situation. You're right. Yeah. Um, hissy fit. That, That's what it you is. Always think of the, you always think of the better one second. <laughs> but, yeah, and then these silly symphonies of, like, you know, oh, we're watching this elaborate physical comedy bit of, like, Ka turning into steps and slides and whirlwinds. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe, you know, like, I know it's not necessarily what Walt Disney wanted for his career, but it is what his career was. And for what it was, it, you know, not everyone gets to be this, like, deep, methodical artist. Mm -hmm. But some people will be master entertainers. They will create iconic characters that stand for a hundred years. Right. You know, some people will have the vision to make a feature-length animation department. Damn, cost be damned. Right. You know? And, like, yeah, if this film is, like, the ultimate testament of his legacy, you know, it, it, like, the man who spearheaded the charge to be, like, we can make a feature-length animated film, then I think that's a pretty good legacy. Yeah, I'd agree. And as we leave the jungle and head back to our slightly less jazzy, <laughs> weirdly sexualized man world, Ew. I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. Have a magical day. Thanks for listening. The Disney Desk is brought to you by Carter and Sydney. Follow us on Twitter at Disney Desk for the latest updates about the show. Want more of the most magical podcast on earth? The Disney Desk is now on Patreon. For exclusive weekly bonus content from us, go to patreon.com slash Disney Desk and become a patron for as little as $3 a month. Thank you.